If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians was the first of the epistles that Paul wrote. And in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, there's a reference to the rapture and the joy that we're going to have to be in the presence of Messiah. Where was that in chapter 1? The last verse, verse 10, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Not through the wrath to come, but what is that Greek word? Ek. Just a little word, like ek, only. E-K, ek. Out of, separated from, not part of. Who delivers us from the wrath to come. So today we're in chapter 2, verse 3, which says... For our exhortation, our being Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Silas, also known as Silvanus. Our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. If it was not from error, what was it from? Truth. From truth. Psalm 119, verse 142, the Torah is truth. Did Paul teach the Torah? Did he teach the commandments of God to believers out of the Gentile world? Did he tell 1 Corinthians chapter 5, folks, let us celebrate the feast referring to Passover? Yes, he did. Okay, so it's not from error, it's from truth. It's not from uncleanness. Why would Paul say not from uncleanness? Did he not teach the people to eat pigs and shrimps? and not? No, he did not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what does he tell them? Touch not the unclean thing. Don't cling to it. Let it go. That's part of your old life. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Don't continue to walk as the Gentiles walk. He did not teach them uncleanness. Nor was it in deceit. He's saying, oh, there's lots of false teachers out there. Messiah warned you about the false teachers, but that's not us. In Matthew 7, Messiah told us how we can tell the false teachers from the true. What do you look at there? Fruits. If they're walking contrary to the commandments of God and teaching men to do so, that's Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Instead, it says, those who keep the commandments of God and teach others so shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Which of you has a goal to be least in the kingdom of heaven? See if you can be the very bottom. Yeah, I didn't think so. So let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Matthew chapter 10, verse Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. What's that verse trying to tell you? Does the world love you if you follow God? How many of you started out keeping Sunday? And when you started keeping Shabbat, did your friends and family say, good for you? No. No. Were they encouraging? I'm in a cult. <laughs> they say you're in a cult. Yeah. 
So when Paul came in with Timothy and Silas to teach to them, it was not to teach them error, but boy, that's what their families and friends are going to say. Ah, oh, you've been misled. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Then they, that's talking about your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. One of the most recent prophecy updates, not this past weekend, but just a couple weekends ago, they mentioned that the federal government has established a new office for your friends and relatives to call in and tell them bad things about you. Starts to sound a lot like Nazi Germany, doesn't it? But that's what the scripture said would happen. 30 years ago, I was watching movies about the tribulation period and how the believers were called haters. And all their friends and families, when they would find one of these haters, quote-unquote, would turn them into the government. The scripture says that's what's coming. And it's not so far away. New legislation in California says, if you do not affirm your child's desire to transition genders, that's child abuse and your children can be taken away from you. Hasn't been enacted yet. It's in the legislative process, but that's the way it's going. The world does not like people who follow God's commandments. They don't want us to be different. But what did God call us to be? Come out and be ye separate. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. By the way, if you haven't guessed, that's a bit of the theme of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is if they don't like you, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Referring to the Apostle Paul as he's just met the Lord on the road to Damascus, it says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul starts in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, saying, We did not come to teach error or uncleanness or in deceit. We came to teach the truth, and people are not going to like it. Verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God, which brings up the question, do we want to be approved by God or by men? Because you can't be both. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul says, we know your friends and relatives are not going to like it. But we're not here to please the world. We're not here to make friends, if you will. We must answer to God. And who answers to God most? The teacher or the student? The teacher. Let's go to Romans 8.8. 8. Romans 8.8. 8. 
I got to tell you, I've got dear friends right now that are being attacked real badly by their families. Holding interventions and, and trying to bring them out of the cults, etc. And some of them are having real hard times dealing with the pressure. But my family, they don't like me anymore. The scripture says, yeah, they're going to try and take you away from the word of God. And what does Hebrews 6 say? If they manage to turn you away, it may be impossible to turn back. Yeah. But Romans 8, 8 says, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Meaning those that are living like the world, in the sins of the world, are they pleasing to God? No, they are not. Come judgment day, are you judged by your friends and family, or are you judged by the Lord? Judged by the Lord. How about Galatians chapter 1? Galatians chapter 1. Verse 10. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Messiah. What is it to be friends with the world? That's enmity with God. What's enmity? Enmity is hatred that separates. So look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. But I'm sure you know what it says before we even get there. But without faith. It is impossible to please God. For who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're diligently seeking God, what does that do with your relationship to the world? Does it strain it? Does it put it at jeopardy? It does. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, these are horrible things to think about. But it's reality. And it is more and more. Verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. What does he mean? Neither at any time did we use flattering words. Not trying to tickle your ears. How many pastors today do you see get up in the pulpit and just use flattering words to tell people that if you follow my doctrine, you'll be wealthy. You'll be popular. The world will love you. That should be a warning bell. If the, Lord, if the world's going to love me, then I'm going the wrong direction. And when he says, nor a cloak for covetousness, that means 
it's not a pretext for greed. Did Paul come up in front of him and say, hey, wait a minute. I only have three jet airplanes. And most recent one's a year old. This won't do. No. How much gold and silver did Paul take from the people? None. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Do people like to have their ears tickled? Right after telling Timothy that every scripture has been breathed out of the mouth of God. And that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So which commandments does that say to ignore? None. 11 and 12. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I charge you, therefore. What's a charge? Does that mean he's, he's taking money out of Timothy's pocket? No. It's an imperative. You better do it. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who will judge the living and the dead. Why does Paul throw that in? Keep judgment day in mind. God is our judge, not people. God is our judge, not people, not society. Boy, if society was our judge, we'd be in real trouble, wouldn't we? Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Oh, I'm sure that word is love. Just preach love. No, what's he mean? Preach the word of God. The scripture, preach the scriptures. Because every scripture is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Be ready in season and out of season. That means if somebody out there asks a question, answer it. You guys have been in many different churches. How many of them could you put your hand up in the middle of a service and say, I got a question for you, Pastor? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. That's right. Yeah. That's happened to me before, but that's another story. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. To rebuke does not mean to say, oh, it's okay if you continue in your sin. God will love you anyway. What does it mean to exhort? It means to, to build people up and strongly encourage them to walk, to walk according to the word of God. With all long-suffering, oh, no, no two-befores, no. And teaching. In Matthew 28, what did the Lord tell the apostles? To teach them what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Which commandments did he say to leave out? None. All things whatsoever is pretty broad. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires means they want you to tell them that whatever they want to do is okay. Whatever they want to do is fine. After all, wouldn't want to hurt your egos, right? They are insisting on it now, not just wanting, they're insisting on yeah. it. Because they have itching ears, meaning they want to hear what they want to hear. 
What are we studying in the book of Jeremiah? The people didn't want to hear Jeremiah because he preached repentance. They wanted to hear the false prophets because the false prophets said, go ahead and continue in your sin. It's okay with God. He won't really judge you. I'm glad they've taken the signs down, but they used to be all over Jasper. Jesus loves and saves everyone. The point being, no one's going to go to the lake of fire. We're all going to heaven. So how you live your life, what difference does it make? We're all going to heaven in the end. Is that what the Bible teaches? It's not. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth. Why would these false teachers turn people away from the truth? The answer is numbers and money. And be turned aside to fables. Can you serve God and mammon? Wouldn't you like to know what mammon is? You know what it is. It's filthy lucre. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But there were also false prophets among the people. Just like in Jeremiah's day, telling the people, you don't have to repent. God would never allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. Yeah, you know what Jerusalem was like after God got done with it? A smoldering heap, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. What's a heresy? Heresy is a doctrine that is inconsistent with true doctrine. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Why? Because they want to, because it's pleasing, because it's what they want to hear. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth, again, what truth is he talking about? God's truth, the truth of Torah. Psalm 119, verse 142. By covetousness, this is the motivation of the false teachers. It's not to get people into heaven, it's to get people's gold in their pockets. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. I'll tell you a story I shouldn't. I had a co-worker when I was in the Air Force many years ago who developed breast cancer and things were not going well. So she went to a Benny Hinn revival. Took with her $10,000, which was her life savings, and gave it to Benny Hinn who laid his hands on her and said, you. your faith is not strong enough. 10,000 is not enough. You must bring me tens of thousands more to prove to God your faith is real. Then you'll be healed. No, she simply wasted away and died. No money back guarantees. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. 
For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Meaning the lake of fire is getting heated more and more as they inflame God's anger. Go to Second Peter chapter 2. You're going, well, that's not very far. We're in 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verses 18 to 22. Still talking about the false teachers. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness. Does that remind you of any doctrines being taught today? How many churches these days are having drag queen hours for the children? It is disgusting. It's flesh. It's lewdness. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. That is, they pull them back in with the promise of fulfilling their lustful desires and their lewdness. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise liberty from God's horrible, restrictive commandments. But instead, they make them slaves of corruption. Yes, the scriptures call the Torah the law of liberty. It's the law that makes us free. God's burden is light. I think somebody yep, dropped a phone or something, so I'm going to mute everybody. Give me just a second. There's a mouse in the house. I can't get him out. <laughs> See, in reference to Matthew 28, he had also told him to teach and do the things that were taught from the seed of Moses. Yep. Yes, he had. Okay, carrying on in 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. By whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into bondage. Sin is bondage. What do we call it today in the medical world? Addiction. It's bondage. When you start down the road on some of these sins, it's hard to turn around and come back up the hill. Verse 24, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, they are again entangled in them. Them what? The pollutions of the world, the sinfulness. And are overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. How does that fit into the once saved, always saved yeah. theology? It says, it would have been better if they never known the Messiah than to know him and to turn away and be re-immersed into the fleshly world and its desires. Verse 21 says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. What is that word holy, I wonder? It's hagios, the same word as saint. Verse 22, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Hmm. It is true that addictions are like a huge hook in people's lives. It really is. They cannot overcome it unless, you know, they're, they're changed. 
their life has really changed and turned around. Right. Thank you. you know, the knowledge, the, you know, you can talk to people till they're blue in the face. Your knowledge doesn't change it. Right. You know you don't want to do it again, but you just can't not do it again. Yeah. Verse 21. Verse 21. Yeah. Um, can you dig a little deeper on that? Are there levels of punishment when it comes to the lake of fire? Yes, there are. So there's less punishment for those who didn't know than those who did know and said, I don't care. That's worse. Those people, even in this life. Just say, what did you say? Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Okay. Go ahead, doctor. I was just going to say, those people who turn from the true knowledge and, and truly following God are some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Even if they pretend on the outside things are great and they're enjoying them, they are miserable. Yep. And you can tell me that that doesn't happen, but I've seen it. I've seen it over and over. People who serve the Lord for 18, 20, 30 years, and then have decided that Yeshua is a fraud, he's not the Messiah, there is no God, and they turn and walk straight into the pit of hell. It breaks my heart. So let's go over to Ezekiel 18. Yep. In Ezekiel 18, let's start in verse 23, because that starts to show us the heart of God. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? So what is God's heart? Does he want people to walk in sin and die, or does he want them to repent and be saved? He wants them to repent and be saved, but... When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, which is another term for lawlessness, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he's guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Verse 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. And notice it's my Lord, the Lord. Repent. Is that a suggestion? The word is shuvu, it's a commandment. And turn. That's a he feel verb form. What's a he feel? Cause yourself to turn. Make a decision. Nobody can make you turn. You must decide for yourself. From all your transgressions. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's not fair. Can't we just turn from some of our transgressions and keep the sins we like? No. So the iniquity will not be your what? Ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 
We call that circumcision in the heart. We call it the new covenant. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Boy, that sounds just like what Peter wrote, doesn't it? Mm. Okay. So back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm waiting for somebody to go, no, we're still in two. <laughs> yeah, we're still in two. Where is the quotation that Yeshua said, he that endures to the end shall be saved? That's in Matthew chapter 24. 24. Let's turn to Matthew 24. It's in the Olivet Discourse, and this time I really do mean the Olivet Discourse. Yeah, we'll turn to that one in a minute. Matthew chapter 24, all those who come to the end, verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Which end is that? The telos, the goal. And then Daniel, you pointed at which verse? First Peter chapter 1. Let's go back to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one verse nine. Yeah, you know me, don't you? It's a long sentence. It's a long sentence. Yeah. First Peter chapter one. Let's start in verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. He's talking about persecutions by their friends and families and communities. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That word believing is a present participle. Verse 9, receiving the end, that is the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm sorry, there's a lot of churches out there that teach when you walk down the aisle and repeat after the pastor, you are saved, period, that's it. This says the goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls at the revealing of Messiah. So it's an ongoing process working toward the coming of Messiah. Verse 13 is where it really gets down to the nitty gritty though. Therefore, that means here's the lesson to be learned. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, which is right-minded, not insane. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in what? Does it say some of your conduct? It says in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's in Leviticus chapter 11, where God says, don't eat piggy shrimps and lobsters. Be holy, for I am holy. It's, it's so easy for us to think that 
for the church at large to take out of context or, or even ignore the, the Greek. A, a simple saying so that they can promise everyone all sorts of stuff. Whoever believes on the name of, of Yeshua shall be saved. Mm -hmm. Well, if you kind of tear that apart and look at what it's saying, it doesn't say, I assent that yes, Jesus existed. And it right. also doesn't say, at one time in my life, I thought, oh, I'd like to be like that. that. Or one time I said the sinner's prayer. But I, you know, I'll quickly return to my, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to mess with this stuff. Yep, you're going to find that word believe to be an ongoing action. It's believe it. E-T-H. Yep. It means, yeah, and whoever endures, it doesn't mean endures, it means the Greek is endureth. Whoever endures holds his faith fast to the end. Okay, so that says the same thing the other one says, but you, you can misapply scripture so easily, and that's why the scripture says, or, or study says, to show yourself approved yeah, yeah that's why Paul says you must study and also you must be a Berean because if someone else tells you something and they're very convincing that doesn't really count you confirm it that counts Messiah said you've heard it said but he say, but I tell you it's written so let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 we're up to verse 7 but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 34. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 34. When you are in a role of a shepherd over God's people, that is an awesome responsibility. In Ezekiel 34, Messiah tells us why he must come himself to be shepherd to his people. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, that's my Lord, the Lord, to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? The shepherds' attitude should not be, What can I get from the flock? But what can I give to the flock? says in verse 3, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So the prophecy that God gives Ezekiel is, you shepherds are worried about yourselves and you're letting the flock be destroyed. It goes on to say the Lord himself is going to have to come and be shepherd. He's going to cause them to 
In our Bibles, it says, lie down in the green pastures, and I'll feed them myself. Those verses come to mind when you look at the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, where he has the apostles have them to lie down, and he feeds them on those grassy hills. But turn to John chapter 21 and see how the Lord instructed the apostles right before he ascended to heaven to sit on the throne awaiting the second coming. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. Too many people focus on the which Greek word for love is it. That's not the point here. Start in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Feed my lambs. Not see what you can get from the lambs, but feed my lambs. Verse 6, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Take care of the sheep, protect them, defend them, feed them, nourish them. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to him, feed my sheep. Why three times the emphasis upon taking care of the sheep? Not see what you can get from the sheep. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're up to verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. We need to go on to verse 9 before we explain this one. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. His point after talking about nourishing the children like feeding the flock is that Paul did not take from the people that he was pre preaching to and ministering to. So how did he support himself? He worked. So he's working through the evening and into the night to make enough money that he, continue, he can continue to preach to them, to feed them, to shepherd them. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. It tells us precisely how he supported himself on the road. Acts chapter 18 verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He's working at his occupation, which they say here is a tent maker, so that he can support himself as he continues to teach and preach in the synagogues as he goes from city to city. 
Now, I've long been taught, and I believe with all my heart, that Paul didn't make tents like a circus tent, but rather tallits, which are called tents when you pull it up over your head and close it off. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's referred to as a prayer closet. Traditionally, it's referred to as a tent. And it doesn't really matter which Paul's making, but there are commentaries out there that I was reading just this week saying that that's blasphemy to say he made tallits. He wouldn't have made a Jewish article, you know. Instead, he's making tents out of these unclean animal hides to show that he really has changed. I'm just reading that going nonsense. The reason I think Paul's not making circus tents is he has to be able to walk from place to place to place. How, what kind of materials do you have to carry with you to make something the size of a circus tent? Versus the materials it takes to make a delete. Remember, he's got to go from place to place to place, sometimes on a moment's notice. So it just made more sense to me. Okay. Yeah, the words mean tent maker. But which kind of tent is what's at issue? They're both referred to as tents. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. That's the reason I say it doesn't really matter which kind of tent, but which one makes it. Can you see Paul walking across Europe or Asia carrying material to make 400 circus-sized tents? <laughs> He could have taken the local freight train, I guess, except they didn't have them. Yes, Edmund. Um, uh, I, I'd always thought of it. He had would have had his tools with him, and the tents are like Bedouin tents. And so, when he gets to a, a town with Priscilla and Aquila, uh, then he joins them with their establishment where they're building them. Mm -hmm. But he would have his tools with him, not the not the materials. But there you go. That just that's the one I've come across. Yep. Yeah. I missed a verse. Oh, no. The verse was six. Nor did we seek glory from men. That is, Paul's purpose is not to get the audiences to bow down at his feet. Oh, my, that brings a bad memory. Just a couple of years ago, there was a prophecy conference here in Georgia over by the Alabama border, which had in its name ministry to the Jews. So Becky and I went over there, and it was not at all what we were expecting. It was one of the Baptist denominations that's a little bit off the beaten path, the kind that if you pick up a Bible that's not a King James, you're going to burn in hell forever, one of those. But... One, one of the first teachings, we only stayed for a couple, they had people come up on the podium, crawl on the floor, and kiss the feet of the ministers. And they said, this is what is commanded in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. Like I said, we didn't stay. Notice anybody else leave? Nope. 1 Corinthians 11 one says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Messiah. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. They said that requires everybody to get down and crawl on their hands and knees and kiss the feet of these people. 
11, 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 and 2. Yeah, I didn't get it either. Yeah. So back to 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. Nor do we see glory from men, either from you or from others, we might have made demands as apostles of Messiah. So he's not just talking about honor and glory in those terms, but he's talking about your money, your gifts, your gold, that we did not seek that from you. We didn't ask for money. And let's go chase that one for a moment. Go to Micah chapter 3. See, that's why this precedes the I worked for a living, Paul says. Micah chapter 3. Verse 11. Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It's not the Lord among us. No harm can come upon us. The point of their judging for a bribe, teaching for pay, and divining for money is where are their hearts? In their wallets. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. When Messiah sent out the apostles two by two, or at that point they were still called the disciples, same people. Verse 8, he told them in verse 7, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So did he say, if they only bring you $10,000, tell them to go back home and get some more? No. Did they pass an offering plate? No. In verse 9 it says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. So as they came into a town, people could feed them, give them a place to sleep. But are they supposed to take the money? No. So Paul says, I had that same right. I could have asked you to feed me and to house me, and to take care of those needs of mine. But Paul says, I didn't do that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What happens to the human nature when they're preaching the gospel for money? Does their heart stay on the people? Or does it tend to wander toward the money? 1 Corinthians 9, 11 to 12. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we were to reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. But endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Messiah. Paul's point is this. If I come in and preaching the gospel. With my offering plate being passed through the crowds. 
How much do you believe my sincerity that I'm thinking about you and your welfare? So Paul says, that's why I didn't do it. I want you to know. Been in one of them big churches where the pastor plate and take it up front. He looks at it and says, send it back. It ain't enough. Yeah, yeah. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is not a lecture on why pastors shouldn't take a salary. That's not it. It's watch where your focus is and make sure it stays on the people. What do I want out of this? I want to see you standing in the kingdom one day. That's what I want. The more the merrier. First Timothy 5 verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the labor is worthy of his wages. When the ox is treading out the grain, the scripture says you've got to let the ox eat what he wants to eat. But does he say you have to fill up the ox's barn back home? No, it does not. Okay. Do I really want to go to Matthew 6? Sure, why not? Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You know what this means, don't you? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're up to verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also had devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Oh, people tell me, though, but Paul was walking in sin. This doesn't say that. This is just the opposite. You are witnesses, which means you saw with your own eyes. And God also, which means God will judge me based on the truth of these words. Had devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. So how did they act? Did they keep the commandments of God or did they not? They kept them. How about 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? We just looked at it. What does it say? Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate the Messiah. So Messiah showed Paul how to walk properly. And Paul's trying to teach the Believers, both Jew and Gentile, how to walk properly before the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because it's all about what? Resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. This would make a good t-shirt. 
Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul says some of you are not showing the unsaved world the way to walk properly before God. Paul says you got to fix that. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. If sin is breaking God's commandments, is Paul telling people here, quit following those commandments? Or is it just the opposite? It's just the opposite. Let's go to Titus. How often do we get to go to Titus? Come on. Titus. Comes after Timothy, right? Which comes after Thessalonians, which means you know where it is. Titus chapter 2, verse 12. So we'll start in verse 11 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that... Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Righteously would be the opposite of what? Lawlessly. It says the grace of God teaches us that. What, Paul? Or, I was going to talk about Paul, but... I just said if that's even a word, that's even a word well, it is now. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Does Titus call Yeshua our great God? He most certainly does. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. If he came to redeem us from every lawless deed, does that mean he wants us to continue in lawless deeds? No. no. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, there's a word in here that's really cool. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Is that completely? That's completely. Meaning at what time... Must we be ready for judgment? Just the day you die, right? So all the time because you never know when that's coming. What's that? Breath by breath. Did God promise us a tomorrow? Why in Hebrews does it say over and over again, today is the day of salvation? So long as it's today, 
you have the opportunity to repent and turn your life around and embrace God. Tomorrow, who knows what tomorrow will bring. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because I'm getting preachy. Verse 11. As you know, not guess, not suppose, as you know how we exhorted, which means encouraged, pushed you to do better, and comforted, and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That's how Paul looked at those who came to faith under him as, as his children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That you would walk worthy of God. What does that mean? Walk in the way God tells you to walk. In the way that God will look at you at judgment day and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. You're going to see almost the same words. How can that be? Well, because it was written by the same guy. Verse 1 says, you're not there yet. So let me take a sip of my water. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Yep. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. But he doesn't explain it further. Oh yes he does. This is where you find verse 17. This I say, therefore, after he's, telling, after he's done telling you why you should walk worthy of the way the Lord would want you to walk. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility or perverseness of their mind. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the seedful lust, which means put that sinful side of you away. Away from you. Separate yourself from it. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man from Ephesians 2, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That explains what Paul means by walk worthy. Of the calling with which you were called. Walk in true righteousness and holiness. You know, it sounds like Paul was saying you have to repent in order to walk in that walk. Really? He's saying you must repent to walk in that walk. What a shocking revelation in today's world. But the reason I say that is because, you know, there's that mist, false teaching going around that says you don't have to repent because that's a work. And what does Paul say? He says, stop walking like the Gentiles. That means repent. That means repent. In Acts chapter 2, when the men said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. repent. He said, wait for God to just change your mind. But that's not what he said. He said, repent. Yep. And repent and repentance appears how many times in the New Testament? 60 About 60 times. You think God's serious when he says it 60 times? What if it's only 58? 
Well, maybe he wasn't sure about Oh, yeah, he's very sure. They would say you should continue to walk in your sin to prove how much God is gracious and merciful. To which you would say, have you read Romans 6.1? What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer? Absolutely. God forbid. No way, Jose. Whatever phraseology you prefer. How it usually works out is they, they spend more time telling you why you're wrong instead of explaining why they're right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to Colossians. No, let's go to Philippians first. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So I take it in chronological order. It's not chronological. It's whatever order the Bible's in. No, it's not that either. It's not that either. Biblical order. There you go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Messiah. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but you have salvation, and that from God. So your conduct, let it be worthy of the gospel of Messiah because people will read your actions and draw conclusions from it. Now Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul in all of these letters is saying, walk worthy. And we'll start in verse 9, but verse 10 is the one that talks about the worthy walk. Verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We're called to be saints. What are saints? Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Would it really hurt the text if we change that and to or and say just pick one or the other? The answer is it would completely destroy the text. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're up to verse 13. At least I am. Hopefully you're keeping up. Verse 13. For this reason... We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you 
who believe. What kind of word is that, who believe? It's a participle, isn't it? It's a participle. Those who believe now and continue to believe. Let's go to Mark 1. I go a lot to Matthew and John, but not so much to Luke and Mark. So let's go to Mark 1. Mark 1. We have read all over the New Testament the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. But Mark 1 explains what that is. So starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, let's read verses 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, which John is this? John the Baptist. Yeshua came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, meaning this is what he said, the gospel of the kingdom is. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is the gospel of the kingdom? It's at hand, so repent and believe. Yes? All right, where it says believe in the gospel, is there a differentiation between believe in and believe on, whether it's referring to the, the, the gospel, the scriptures, or in Messiah? No, not really. Okay. It means believe that the gospel message is true. Yeah. And notice the gospel message is not the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah here because Messiah is saying it and he's still very much yeah. alive. Well, well the, 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 the point that I'm trying to, you know, is believe in versus believe on. Mm -hmm. You know, is there a differentiation? In biblical Hebrew, there's no difference between in and on. It's the same word. Okay. Thank yeah. So they may translate it one way or the other, but there's no difference in the okay. word. So, repent and believe. Uh-oh. Would you believe repent and believe are both command forms? Not suggestions. It means the kingdom of God is at hand. If you want to be worthy to enter the kingdom, you must repent and you must do it by faith. That's what the belief is. You must come to God by faith. But you can't come in sin and say, I'm coming in faith. Because if you have faith in God, you love God, you can't walk in sin. It doesn't work that way. They're inconsistent. Go to Mark 6. Yes, ma'am. And the word, <laughs> when we were talking about... Uh, believe in the gospel, we know in Hebrews 4, uh, 2 that the gospel was preached to them in the wilderness so we know that it could be the death, burial, and resurrection. Right, the gospel was preached to them in the wilderness. From the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God's been telling us that Messiah would come and would establish a kingdom on earth. Mark 16. Thank you for that, Rachel. Mark 16, verse 16. 
And we'll start in verse 15 to make sure we get the whole context. Mark 16, beginning in verse 15. And he, that is Messiah, said to them, to the apostles, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know what? That includes Gentiles, right? Jew and Gentile alike. Everybody. Everybody. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And part of baptism is repentance, right? That was Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized. Baptism is an outward testimony of the repentance that has taken place in your heart. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. And then he gives a list of miraculous signs. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Believed what? Believed the gospel. Let's go back to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. You know that chapter so well. Because it tells us we can eat pigs. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. When I ask other believers, why was Messiah so upset with the scribes and Pharisees? They tell me it's because they kept the law. And that's why he was mad at them. What does the Bible say? Verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So they set aside the commandments of God and put in place their own man-made traditions, their rules and regulations, to say this is how you worship God. By breaking all his commandments and following us instead. Fortunately, that doesn't remind me of anybody today. So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Messiah Yeshua. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. I only want you to understand from this verse that whenever we're reading the word Jew in the New Testament, it's the same word as Judean. The word Jew was used to describe those from the southern kingdom of Judah or Judea. After the northern kingdom is 
separated. The southern kingdom were called Jews. And in biblical times, the northern tribes have been in captivity for 700 plus years and are gone. The only children of Israel that are left are in Judah. And that's why they're described through here as Jews. But here this word Judean is the very same word they just decided to translate as Judean. That is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Yeah. And I made a mark to make sure you've mentioned Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, but we've done that at least twice this morning. So that's good enough. Oh, we got to look at verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Yeshua and their own prophets. And have persecuted us. And they do not please God. And are contrary to all men. That's verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. Sorry. Why did the Jewish leaders in Judea. Call for the crucifixion of Messiah. Because he was a threat to their power and their money, their positions. It wasn't because they thought he was contrary to the teaching of God. It was because he was a threat to their pocketbooks. And with that, we've hit the 12 o'clock hour. But we go to 12.30, so we're going to keep going. <laughs> and I knew that. I was just leading into it. No. Just I've done that so many times I thought it would get a laugh. Anything for a cheap laugh. So verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. Why would the Jewish leaders care if Paul goes and testifies to the Gentiles about anything? They don't think the Gentiles are worthy, but they're not going. When Paul was talking to the people in Jerusalem, they were quiet until he said what? Um, Messiah told me to send the message to the Gentile, and then he said, well, wait a minute. And then they erupted in riot, didn't they? Don't you dare. We're not going to listen to you. Don't you dare go to them. Exactly. We don't want to hear it, but don't you dare tell them about it. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and start the trail. The Ibex trail. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 13. leadership today in America, all around the world, they're, they're trying to prevent people from spreading the truth. Even on, on YouTube and Twitter, the truth is now called hate speech. Right. If you preach the truth, you will be shut up, and in some countries you will be arrested. Yep. You don't want to make sinners feel guilty for their sins. They might repent. Well, speaking the truth uh, goes against the government. Yep. It actually does harm to the ruler of this world. Yep. So, in Acts 4, let's actually start a little earlier. I know you're not accustomed to that. <laughs> but we'll start in verse 8. Where Peter is going to really unload on them, right? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does it add filled with the Holy Spirit? He wouldn't have the courage to say these words on his own. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit's given him the gusto and the words. Send them rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He's not talking to the common folks. He's talking to the people who stone people. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the name of Yeshua, the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Yikes. Yeah, what do you think those leaders are doing right now? Going, oh my, don't tell people we did that. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Peter points right back to prophecy in the Old Testament to say, you fulfilled this, you bad people. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what's that name? Yeshua. What does Yeshua mean? Salvation. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Normally the people when called before the leadership are afraid. But Peter speaks boldly. And they realized that they had been with Yeshua. And seeing the men who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. How do you argue against the lame guy standing there, all nice and healed? So verse 15, But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Yeshua. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Oh, if you don't think he's twisting the knife now. Saying, if you think we should obey men over God, just go ahead and tell the people. Tell them. And they're going, oh, no, 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 we ain't doing that. But don't you teach anymore in this name. They say, yeah, yeah, you just wait and see. Let's go to Acts chapter 14, verse 2. Before you go there. Yeah, before I go there. The approach that uh, Peter's making here yep. is about individual salvation. Yep. It seems like in the Old Testament, salvation was like in a national sense. There's two types of salvation. There's deliverance from external threats and there's salvation from sin. Salvation from sin is individual. Salvation as a nation is from the outside threats like an invasion by Babylon. So you had, you had uh, both concepts in the Old Testament? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you do. Acts chapter 14, verse 2. 
We read verse 1 a minute ago. Why didn't we read verse 2 then? Because it was more appropriate now. But the unbelieving Jews, it should be the unbelieving Judeans, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So in Iconium, where they speak at the synagogue and both Jews and Gentiles get saved, the unbelieving Jews start teaching the rest of the Gentiles, hey, don't listen to these. They're, they're, they're wrong. They're crazy. They're exiled from Jewish society, etc. Trying to keep the Gentiles from believing in Messiah. Acts chapter 21. See how well it worked out for them? Acts chapter 21. Starting in verse 40. And we're going to talk about the event that Daniel spoke of just a few minutes ago. Remember the world tells me that Paul both wrote and spoke Greek fluently? In verse 37, the commander of the, the garrison asked him, can you speak Greek? If Paul was speaking to him in Greek, would the response have been, can you speak Greek? No. Oh. Did you have a question? That's right. Can you see? His eyes are bad. Yeah. Can you see? Can you see? Yeah. Yep, his eyes are bad. But, verse 40, so when he had given him permission, that is the commander gave Paul permission to speak to the people. Paul stood in the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, my Baptist commentaries say that's not possible. Nobody back then would have understood a word he said. It must have been Aramaic. But you know what the Bible says? It was Hebrew. What happens when he speaks in Hebrew? He says, brethren and fathers, <coughs> hear my defense before you now. When he heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Why? Because they couldn't understand a word. No. It's, that's their language. So now they're going to listen. If he comes speaking Greek, do you think they would have listened for a moment? No. So, and when they heard he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. What city? Jerusalem. At the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. He was one of the greatest, most respected rabbis in all the land. Taught according to the strictness of our Father's law. And was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way. What does he mean by this way? It means the believers in Messiah. To the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness. And all the council of the elders. From whom I also received letters to the brethren. And went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, 
Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Yeshua of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the lights and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Notice up to this point, what's the crowd doing? They're listening. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the Torah, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. He stood and said to me, Brother Shaul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. So the just one, they've already said is Yeshua. Is the people in an uproar? No, they're listening. For you will be witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Any problem from the crowd? No. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And so I'm saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Any reaction from the crowd? No. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Any reaction from the crowd? No. They said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now look at the crowd, verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. It wasn't that he says Yeshua is the Messiah, that he's the Lord, that he was crucified, that he was raised again, that there's salvation and no other. All that's fine. When he says, God told me to go to the Gentiles, they say, that's it. Ain't listening no more. Hmm. Back to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart meaning we may be physically absent, but we're still with you in spirit. Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. That is, we want to be there in person. It's not a lack of desire. Have you ever wanted to travel and see somebody you really cared about, but you just can't manage it right now? Sure, we all have. And that's where Paul is. These are his children in the Lord. He cares about these people. Oh, and this is something that I hadn't really thought about until lately. How long did Paul preach in person in Thessalonica? Yeah, about three weeks. In three weeks, he persuaded the people to get saved, baptized, establish a congregation, and put somebody there in leadership. Stop living like Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. In three weeks, somebody who was a pagan idol worshiper is now leader of the congregation 
Is it any, any hard concept to imagine that they needed a little help to stay on the rails? Yeah. So that's what Paul says. We want to come back to you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you and teach you and continue to build you up. Verse 18, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So this is what Paul says. When it comes to Judgment Day, I'm not looking for physical crowns. I'm not looking to see how great the Lord says I am in the kingdom. I want to see you standing there in the presence of the Lord rejoicing. He says, that's what I want to see. Look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Paul says, I don't care if I shine. I don't care if I get glory and honor in the kingdom. I want to see all you standing before God, singing praises to his holy name. In Matthew 5.19, Messiah echoes the very same sentiment about those who keep God's commandments and teach others to do so. Matthew 5.19 You really can't do just 19 because it starts with whoever therefore. So you got to look back and see what the therefore is. And that's verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled. Do you see how that's parallel to Daniel 12, 3? Lead many to righteousness. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So those who teach the commandments of God. Verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are breaking and teaching others. He's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. In verse 20 it says. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5 is a teaching that continues through the end of chapter 7. It's one continuous teaching. And of course it's Matthew 7.23 that says, Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So I get a lot of questions from people about Matthew chapter 5.19 saying, if they're breaking all of God's commandments, they're still going to be in heaven, right? 
That's not what that verse says. It says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. What does it say about those who break them all and teach others that the law has been abolished, don't apply anymore? Ugh. Okay. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Let's let God be the judge. I hope everybody gets to heaven. Wait, how long was the Thessalonian church in existence then? We know it was like about a year and a half when he wrote the second letter, but it's not mentioned in Revelation as one of the seven churches. That's because those seven churches are in Turkey, and this one's in Greece. Right. The seven. We don't know how long it existed then? No. I haven't seen anything that tells me the history of it. Those seven churches are in Asia Minor, which today is called Turkey, and they were on the Roman mail route. So there are seven churches in order as the mailman's going around delivering the letters. We're up to chapter 3. You guys didn't think we could do it. Oh, ye of little faith. Verse 1, therefore. Uh-oh, what is therefore? Because you are our hope. You are our joy. You are our crown of rejoicing. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, that is, enduring the desire to come be with you personally and not able to make it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Which sounds strange, but remember, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So Paul's going to stay in Athens alone. He's going to send Timothy back. Verse 2, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Messiah, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Why? Paul says, I can't go personally, so I'm going to send my trusted son in the faith, Timothy. And what's he going to do? To establish you. That's not what the word means. They're already established. The word means to strengthen. How is he going to strengthen them? By teaching them. You mean after three weeks they didn't know the entire Bible from front to back? Of course not. So he's going to strengthen them. Make them resolute. Make sure that their faith does not get damaged because they're going to endure all kinds of persecution from their friends, families, and fellow citizens says to establish you and encourage you. What does that word encourage mean? It actually means to encourage you. Yeah. To encourage you concerning your faith. Don't let the persecutions that you endure turn you away from the gospel. Don't let them turn you away from Messiah. How many of you know people who've done that? They start to walk uprightly and then they say, but my children, they, they, they're all upset with me. I'm, I, I got to go back and paint Easter eggs and put up trees. And, and the saddest example I can think of was a young pastor and his family that were coming to our fellowship down in Alabama while he was still preaching at his church. And the denomination... The leaders grabbed him and said, 
you cannot go to that Bible study. If you do, we'll take away your ordination. We'll take away your license to preach. We will take away your home and all your furniture. You will have no place to live. You'll have no income. And he said, Wayne, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to make a living, so I, I just have to walk away. Yep, happened, really happened. Mm. Back to happier thoughts. First Thessalonians 3, which is all about persecution, so maybe it's not that much happier. <laughs> Verse 3, but the point is to encourage them to teach them, to make them resolute because of verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Meaning when you follow the Lord, you walk uprightly before him, you are going to get persecuted. Paul says, you knew this, I told you when you first came to the Lord, that it was going to be a hard journey. Go to John 16. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. People look at that word and go, see, see, the church has to go through the tribulation period. That's not what this word tribulation means. It means persecution. It means your friends, your relatives, your neighbors will turn on you. You're in a cult, don't you know that? Yes. Okay. In many countries, China, you know, Asia, Africa, you know, when believers... They do get persecuted, and they know they actually have a what they call a theology of persecution. They expect and prepare. Yeah, think of the orphans that we support down in Kenya that are Messianic believers in a Muslim country. If you don't think they get persecuted by their neighbors, both the unbelieving Jews and the Muslims, and worse yet and those who call themselves Christians. Now, I'm not going to tell that story. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. And you know. Paul says, I told you it would happen, and it happened. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 20 and 21. Yeah, the worst persecution that our Messianic Jewish brethren down in Kenya receive is not from the Muslims, it's from those who call themselves Christians. Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. But he who received the word on stony places, this is he who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. They're glad to hear the gospel. They accept it. They receive it. They're joyful about it. 
Yet he has no root in himself, meaning he doesn't have the theological background and Bible study to understand that persecution comes from those outside of the faith. But endures only for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Messiah says that's one of the four kinds of hearts, and this is not one of the four coming into the kingdom. They heard the word, they received the word, they were glad to receive the word, but because of the persecutions from their friends, family, and neighbors, they walked away. What is this life? How many years? Some of us in here are approaching 80 years old, right? But compared to eternity, that's just a blip on the radar. That's all it is. If we get persecuted for 80 years or burn in hell for eternity, which is the better choice? That, that again, that, that scripture just goes on the other side of the ledger from these eternal security people. Yeah. These people were converted. They, they believed. But then the moment persecution came, they said, go, go, go. don't think I better do this. Right. I agree with you. Matthew chapter 7. Really? Matthew chapter 7? What could it possibly have to say? A lot. I mentioned last night something about this verse. And people said, what, what? I said, no, you've got to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's tomorrow. Tell us what that word really means. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. Verse 14. And there are few who find it. That word narrow is the same word that's translated other places as persecution. So the narrow gate is the gate where we walk uprightly before the Lord and the world tries to turn us away. It's a hard road. A broad road is an easy road. A narrow road is a difficult road. It's difficult because the world hates you. The world doesn't like the fact that you are different. And they want you to walk away from the Lord and his commandments and walk with them. Then they will love you. When Christians persecute you, that tells you that they are the world. Exactly. You're not following Yeshua. Yep. In the world. So go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 6. First Corinthians chapter one verse six. Now, if we are afflicted, First Corinthians chapter one, verse. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one verse six. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter one verse six. If you go to First Corinthians chapter two verse six, it won't say the same thing. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is your consolation and salvation. Paul says, when I get persecuted, then when you get persecuted, you know that, well, that's just what happens to believers. The world will not like the fact that you follow God's commandments. How many of you have noticed that? Yeah, they don't like it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, meaning we get persecuted from the Jews and the Gentiles, yet are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. Remember, Messiah said, if they persecute you, remember, they persecuted me first. Hebrews 11, verse 37. Referring to the prophets of old, it says, they were stoned. That doesn't mean they smoked marijuana. That means they were rocked with rocks. They were sawn in two. That was the prophet Isaiah who was putting a log and Manasseh had him sawn in two with the log. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. So when persecution comes and affliction comes, don't say, gee, God doesn't want me. It's not God who doesn't want you. It's the world trying to take you away from God. One more verse and then we'll quit. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Messiah. In other words, what? The world is not going to like you if you stand up for the word of God. And that's... That was just going to say real quick, in the Gospels, Peter says, well, Lord, we left houses and lands and families. And Yeshua says, well, in the kingdom, you're going to have a hundred times anything that you've left or lost. That's correct. Anything that you lose for the cause of Messiah, don't even worry about it. That's a kind of a sad note to end on, but we have run out of time for real this time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5.